0: Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Good morning, everybody. Oh, come on. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for bringing us in safety to this new day. We give you thanks for this season of epiphany, the season of light and of revelation the season where you manifest your glory among us, that we may know you and love you and follow you as your disciples. We pray that you would shower your spirit upon us this day, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your call. And we ask it all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So last week, I understand, um, Brenda shared a bit about the Beatitudes that wonderful uh, beginning to the Sermon on the Mount, which if you have been reading Matthew's gospel uh, with the rest of the parish, you know, the Sermon on the Mount includes all of chapters five, six and seven. It's one of his great teachings. And if you missed Brenda last week, cause it was a holiday weekend and you were away, um, you should listen to the podcast. And if you wanna dig in more deeply into the Sermon on the Mount, I really invite you to look for information about Small groups that are coming up soon about the Sermon on the Mount in February, which will be a wonderful chance to dig into all that a little more. But I want to tell you and read to you the very end of that sermon. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. If you've been reading Matthew, you know that's a key theme of Matthew's gospel, that Jesus is the teacher of Israel, that Jesus, like Moses, has gone up on the mountain to teach, to bring the law, to reveal God's righteousness and God's intent for God's people to call his people coming down from that mountain into a life of righteousness. If you've ever uh, looked at Matthew in one of those red letter editions of the Bible, you guys know what I'm talking about? They often are old King James versions where all of Jesus's words are printed in red instead of black. If you've ever looked at Matthew in one of those red letter Bibles, you'll see that Matthew loves to talk, (laughs) like some of us. He is a teacher at heart. Matthew's gospel has at its core five long discourses or sermons where he is revealing the heart of God, the Sermon on the Mount being the first of them. So he's just done all this teaching, this teacher of Israel, and people are astounded at his teaching, for he teaches as one with authority. And then we come to chapter eight and he comes down off that mountain, just like Moses coming down off the mountain with the, with the tablets, with the law. And immediately, Jesus is pressed into action. Immediately, having taught, Jesus is pressed into action. Now, on your tables, if you're not at a table, I'm going to invite you to come. You really need to be part of a table. So there's some seats here. There's some seats there. There's actually an empty table there. Um, And Catherine, maybe... you. You don't have to go far and join this closed table. <laughs> on your table, there are passages from Matthew chapters eight and nine. Each table has a different passage. Keeping you on your toes, waking you up this morning. And what I want to invite each table to do is the following. I want one person to read it aloud while the rest read along and listen. I want you to leave a little silence And then I want a second different person to read it aloud while the rest of the table listens. And then I want you to do two things as a table in conversation. I want you to try to summarize it in a sentence in your own words. What's going on? In a sentence, what is this about? And then secondly, why is it here? (laughs) Why might Matthew have included this in the gospel? That's a harder one than than the first. Summarize what is, what's really going on here and why might Matthew have included this in the gospel. Any questions about that? Okay, uh, I will give you seven minutes. Okay, let's, let's uh, come back together. So, um, let's start at table number one. Anybody want to give a, a, a one-sentence summary of what Matthew eight one through four is about? Faith in the context of the Jewish traditions. Faith in the context of the. Jew. Let's get a little more concrete. What's happening? Healing. Well, he presumably, basically, he, he chose, and therefore one presumes he had, he had faith. But it, but Jesus is then saying, you know, go to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. So You're two steps ahead. Get get concrete and literal. What happened in the story? He was healed. A man was healed. Excellent, great. <laughs> A leper was healed. Great. Sable two. One sentence, what happened? A man comes to Christ and asks him for Uh, favor, which happens to be uh, for his servant and not himself. And as a man of authority, Christ recognizes that as something that's humble. Mm -hmm. That's it.
1: So a centurion
0: asks for something humbly. He has authority but he humbles himself to ask for his servants to be healed. And is his servant healed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Table 3. Quick sentence. Uh, Jesus meant to help everybody. To cure everybody. So Jesus comes to cure everybody. Does he cure someone in in particular? His, mother, his, his mother-in-law. Peter. Yeah, Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus doesn't have a wife. Peter does. Yes, Peter's mother-in-law. <laughs> 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 Table four. Anybody want to give a sentence? It is. Jesus <laughs> calms the sea. Jesus <laughs> calms the sea. So there's a storm and then it goes away. Okay. Table five. Oh, maybe. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, Jesus casts the demons out of two demionics and into the swine, and thus the swine with their demons go off and kill themselves. So Jesus drives out demons from yeah. somebody possessed into pigs. Yeah. A little weird, but it's true. <laughs> Same sex. Jesus demonstrates authority to forgive and heal and people of faith see it and know it. People demonstrates authority to forgive and heal, and people see you know, and know, people, people, people of faith see and you know, Excellent. Right. Table seven. God heals through strength of faith by healing uh, the lowly and um, bringing back a girl from the dead from a leader of the synagogue. Awesome. Table eight. God res- or Jesus restores sight to two blind men. Awesome. Table nine. (laughs) Jesus heals someone who is mute. Jesus heals someone who is mute. Well done, you guys are. (laughs) So, if Jesus in five through seven is the great teacher on the mountain, beginning at chapter eight, coming down off the mountain, he leaps into action. And there are three triplets of stories three triplets of stories. The first three that we heard are stories of Jesus using his power for those who are marginalized. So we heard that he heals a leper and a centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law, right? All as servants and women in Jesus's day, all people who are marginalized. So those are the first three healing stories in chapter eight. And then we have a brief interlude about discipleship, about what it means to follow Jesus And then we have three more healing stories or stories of uh, rather Jesus's power over big forces, forces like the world and and the storms, right, over nature, over uh, evil, right, casting out demons from the two uh, men who are possessed and over sickness itself and sin, right? Not just that he heals someone, but that he forgives them in the story of the paralytic who is healed. Then we have a second interlude, more stories about discipleship and exciting for Matthew, the story of Matthew's own call, chapter nine, verses nine through 17. That's the second interlude between the second set of power stories and this third set of power stories, which are this synagogue leader's daughter brought to life. Jesus's power is demonstrated over death itself and then the healing of the blind man and the mute man, right? Matthew uses the same word for all nine stories. The same word. And it's a word that as you hear it in Greek, you may may say, oh, I know what that means. Dunamis, dunamis. You might think of dynamic or dynamite dunamis d-u-n-a-m-i-s like dynamic or dynamite dunamis means mighty act of power when we teach the lord's prayer to the kids we have hand motions that go with it and my favorite is the doxology of the Lord's Prayer because we get to say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know, you get our get muscles and sparkly fingers in one sentence, it's amazing. Um, so these are Jesus's mighty acts of power. And Matthew chapter 9, 33, which was at table nine, the very end of this last story of power says, something similar to what the end of chapter seven said. Remember, they had heard him as a teacher and recognized his authority. And now at the end of chapter nine, it says, the crowds are amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Acts of power that demonstrate authority. First, he teaches as one with authority, and now he acts in ways and with a power as such that people see and know and experience for themselves that authority. And recognize that that authority is unlike anyone else's, right? There can be powerful teachers. And so if Jesus had stopped as just the great teacher on the mountain, people might have said, well, he's a great rabbi like others. There are great people who show us moral courage and show us how to live in the world, great examples to follow. And people might've said, Jesus is that there are people who have insight and vision who can see the world and and say something about what God longs for the world. We call those people prophets and Jesus might have been understood just to be a great person of insight and and, uh, vision for what God is calling and been a great prophet. But these stories, take it the next level. They say, Jesus, this man, acts with a power that belongs only to God. That belongs only to God, right? For only God, good Jews would know, has the ability to forgive. Only God has power over uh, sin and sadness, death and uh, paralysis. Only God has power over death itself. Um, Now, I think as we hear stories like this, um, people sometimes struggle. Um, So if you hear them and you wonder, uh, you're not alone. I've heard as a priest things like, why would Jesus heal some and not all? Or if God can do those things, calm a storm, raise the dead to life, uh, set people free, why is there still pain and suffering in the world? Or more personally, if God doesn't heal my pain and suffering or make the storms of my life go away, what have I done wrong? Anybody in this room? You don't have to raise hands, but anybody ever wondered any of those things? I bet you have, I have. So if you've ever asked a question like that, you're not alone. One answer, though I think uh, there are several, but one answer is that Jesus offers these signs as foretastes of what is to come, as a bit of a future breaking into the present, as a sign and a promise of what God actually intends at the end, such that we would have courage that if they have not yet come in all places, and for all people, we know it's not yet the end, and we are to have hope and to proceed forward. In our own tradition, right, we often talk about Easter this way, as a first fruit, right? <coughs> Christ raised from the dead is the promise that we, too, will be raised the dead. And I think that's definitely true in feeding the hungry and in welcoming the sick and in welcoming back the outcast and in forgiving the sinner and in freeing those who are bound by all sorts of demons. Jesus is showing us the future that awaits us all. If you think back to Advent when we looked at those gardens and you remember the last garden in the book of Revelation, what did we have but a vision where all of humanity and all of creation itself was healed and restored and in joyful relationship with God and one another, right? Every tear wiped away. It is a promise about the future, a sign of what is to come breaking into the present, right? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near, right? The reign of God has begun. It may not be fully realized, but it has begun. It has come into this world. C.S. Lewis once said, um, the war is won The rest is mopping up actions, right? The victory is won, the rest is the realization of that. But I don't think these dunamis, these signs of power are just about future promise, right? And I think it's not an accident that these um, triplets of miracles are interrupted the way they are. Matthew, like all the Gospel writers, is an incredibly sophisticated author. And he knows exactly what he's doing as he structures his Gospel. It's not an accident that these triplet of miracles are interrupted by two little chunks of teaching. There's Jesus doing it it again, being a teacher. Two teachings about discipleship, about what it means to follow Jesus. And these interruptions, I think, are clues that these signs, these acts of power, (laughs) are to get our attention, are to draw people to Jesus so that they will sit at his feet and learn from him, right? That these acts of power were to show the crowds that had gathered what I said earlier, that he wasn't just a great teacher, that he wasn't just a great moral example, that he wasn't just a great prophet, but that he was in very fact, Emmanuel, God with us, God's power and God's truth and God's beauty with us in this world showing us a different way. These acts of power are to draw more people in. And the clue that that's what Matthew is about and Matthew's Jesus is about, is what happens next. So you don't have Bibles in front of you, so you just have to take my word for it. But chapter 10, right? Remember how nine ends? The crowds are amazed and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Some of you do have your little Matthew devotions, so you do have it in front of me, so you can check me. Chapter 10 begins with the calling of the 12 together. This is where Matthew finally gets around to telling us who the 12 are. They've already gotten together, but now he gives us their names. Jesus calls the 12 together, names them, and says, Go, proclaim, teach, heal, cast out demons, raise the dead, cure the sick in my name. The acts of power are being passed on to the 12, and to us. We'll talk more about this next week, but Matthew's gospel is the only one that uses the word ecclesia, church. The other three gospels don't ever get around to giving a name for this body of people trying to follow Jesus, but Matthew does. He has a vision of what the body of people who are called to follow Jesus is about. And it's that we are meant to be people who experience the acts of power and then do them, experience, and then do them. Matthew's Jesus does them to call our attention and to bring us to his feet so that we can be his disciples, right? Which we remember just means students, learners, who will sit in his feet and learn from him, and that we would be his apostles, which means sent ones, people who would go out in his name to live and to love like him out in the world, so that by the deeds of power, we as the community, the Ecclesia do, yet still others would come to see and believe. Let your lights so shine before others, Matthew says, that they may see your good works, may see your deeds of power, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Right? So these deeds of power are not just a sign of the future breaking in, though that is a glorious truth about what they are. They are also ways of God saying, wake up, be close to me so that I can work power in your life so that you can go out and be those who heal in my name, who proclaim forgiveness in my name, who bring life in places of desolation and darkness and death in my name and through my power. Now, um, I don't uh, personally possess the power to actually perform miracles. That's not what I mean by deeds of power that we the church are called to do. In a literal sense, like I do believe Jesus is literally doing these deeds of power. I don't think these are metaphors. But I do think that the church is called to act in such a way that others will look at what can happen as people come together as beloved community, living and loving like Jesus and saying, gosh, that awfully looks like a miracle. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think it was possible for the South to begin to come through the sin of racism and prejudice and begin to have a deeper vision of one human family. Before the civil rights movement, most people didn't think that was possible. We still long for its realization, but the beloved community did that. It was a miracle. It was a dunamis. It was a deed of power because of Jesus, because those people had become disciples who became apostles. In our own day, what might God be calling you and me to do as the church to live and to love like him so that others would see our life together and the work we do in the world and say, That is nothing short of miracle. That is God at work. I have seen the light shine and know that it is the Father at work even now. So I'll end there uh, and send you forth with that blessing that the deeds of power are God trying to get our attention so that we would know he's at work in our lives, calming the storms of our lives, giving us a peace that passes understanding healing, brokenness, forgiving sins for us so that we would go and do likewise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.